0: Well, good morning, welcome to Silks Cafe, um, whether you're whether you're joining us online because uh, you're working from home like many of us or you've got some watch party somewhere or you're here in person, a very warm welcome to City Legal. My name's Peter Wrench and uh, City Legal is a community that exists to consider the bigger questions of life with uh, silks and suits in cities right around Australia. Uh, the format for those who are new and, and a special welcome to you is a brief talk followed by a QA. and a and you can uh, text questions at any time to the number the sheets of paper in front of you or the number that's posted in the chat um on if you're watching via zoom so please start seeing those questions through uh, we're very privileged to have speaking for us today james harricks who's a senior minister uh, at st matthias centennial park and i'm gonna just uh get james up and ask him a couple of questions yeah oh, 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 now um, james you said in your bio that you actually you worked in a city law firm for a little while summer clerkship but decided to not going to law. Why, why in the world would that happen? I can't understand
1: it. Uh, <laughs> this is a hard place to start, Pete. Uh, I watched a couple of partners kind of go grey in their face and hair over six weeks, and I thought that was enough for me to stay away forever.
0: <laughs> All right, fair enough. Now, you're also say in your, your bio that you're a middle-aged road cyclist, and then you say, look, you know, can you explain to me why do you believe they are a persecuted and sad minority?
1: Uh, well, my kids refer to them as speed bumps. Uh, and so, whenever we're out driving with them, uh, my kids who are learning to drive go as close as they possibly can to cyclists. So, yeah, we're an endangered species. Do you,
0: do you want to tell us about a close call you've had cycling?
1: Uh, I've been hit a number of times, yeah. Not by you, but that's good. So, yeah, that okay. time will come.
0: All right, thanks, James. I'm glad you're, you're here, you arrived safely today. Um, James has asked that a passage from the Bible be read. It's from uh, a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a small group of Christians in the first century. And you can find that uh, passage in front of you uh, in the sheets if you open them up or it's, uh, a link is posted on the screen. And uh, John Breen, uh, who's a former lawyer who works with James, uh, is going to come and read that passage. And I'm actually... I'm not going to ask John what James is like as a boss because he's been trained to tell the truth. So, um, please, John, if you could, uh, if you'd like to step up the line there, there we are. Great. If you'd like to read that passage first, and then I'll get James to speak.
2: Okay. So today's passage is one Peter chapter two verses four to ten. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: Uh, Good morning and uh, thanks for having uh, me here this morning. Um, We don't have time to take a straw poll, but I reckon the most frightening question of 2020 is this, uh, who are you? That is there's so much pressure around this question of identity and particularly when uh, our circumstances have changed so much, when uh, I don't have a job any longer, when I don't have to suit up for work every day, when I'm stuck at home, when relationships are under strain, how do you actually grapple with the question about who I am and what am I about? Uh, until this year, there was this whole thing on social media about living your best life. Uh, if you've got children or grandchildren at home, they will have talked about it. Uh, And so what you see on social media is glamour photos of perfect bodies and perfect holidays and perfect beaches, uh, everyone drinking perfect cocktails, um, and uh, people's kind of social media pages are heavily curated to project my perfect life. And I hate to confess it, but I'm a co-conspirator. That is, whenever I go out, my kids say, you've got to take a photo of your food and send it to me so that they can pretend to be where I was. Uh, So I'm no better. Um. But this is this whole pressure to project something, to curate who you are, is the result of what happens when you remove God from a worldview. When everyone's worldview is up for grabs, well, it is about self-discovery and self-expression and working out who I am. Without God, without any external authority, without any reference to my parents or my employees or whoever else, there is this sort of pressure to find my path, to determine a way forward, to discover my best life. Now, of course, the thing is, there's nothing new in this. This is just post-enlightenment thinking. Back in 1888, you'll remember, uh, if you were there, uh, William Ernest Henley, in his poem Invictus, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. Which sounds so inspirational, doesn't it? Like living your best life. My reflection is, though, it's just exhausting. In our world, to be ordinary, to be average, to be anything less than outstanding is to fail. And so we pedal faster and faster to be more accomplished and more beautiful and more trendy and more authentic than I was yesterday. And it's killing us. It's a crushing existence. We think we have more options and more possibilities, but the reality just seems to be this kind of exhausting quest to define who I am and what I'm really about. Into all this stress, into all this anxiety, all this pressure comes the cool breeze of these precious words from 1 Peter 2. If you look down the other passage, here they are as you come to him, as you come to him. All the pressure, after all the searching, all the competition to live my best life, here is the cool breeze of the gospel. An invitation to come and rest in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Which is what the letter of 1 Peter is all about. We hear that at the end in chapter 5 verse 12. As Peter says to stand in the grace of Christ. That is life isn't meant to be a battle. A battle to achieve or compete or project a certain image. It's about coming to Jesus and resting in who he is and what he's done. That's where we find security. That's where we find great comfort from confusion and pain. Now, what does Jesus actually offer then? I mean, scan through those verses that John read for us a moment ago. It's not, it's not abundantly clear in this passage. Um, it... You kind of have this strange language and quotes from Old Testament books and everything else. So what actually is this comfort? Um, is it just a, a bunch of boring words or is there something here that is exciting and refreshing? Is this actually the best news ever? It, does this actually provide the, question, the answer to our questions about identity? Um, for those of you who just want the executive summary or the TLDR version, uh, here it is. Uh, it's, life isn't about who you are and what you have to do. It's about who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's have a look at then. Uh, Come down to verse four again. Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, a living stone. Uh, In fact, as you scan through, you see there's lots of stone images in the passage. And here Peter says, Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone, the the rock of stumbling, which coming from Peter, if you know about him, is a bit strange. That is, Jesus gave him the name Peter or translated as Rocky. And so you hear the word rock or stone, you think, "Ah, he's talking about, himself no no no. he's talking about Jesus it's not about me says Peter it's about him so what does it mean for Jesus to be the living stone then we need to go back to uh, these passages from Isaiah where this stone language is taken from Uh, and so the context for Isaiah uh, or Isaiah uh, 28 is the prophet Isaiah is speaking in judgment on God's people and uh, they thought back in the Old Testament that they were secure. They were in Jerusalem. They had the temple. They thought they were impenetrable. They boasted that they'd made a deal with death. They would not be overrun by their enemies and so on. And Isaiah comes in and says some hard truths. He says, actually, guys, you're not secure. Your pride in the temple is misplaced. Isaiah 28 verse 15. Uh, we've made lies our refuge and in falsehood have taken shelter. But this promise, uh, sorry, this prophecy from Isaiah comes with a promise that a precious cornerstone would come and would be a sure foundation, would give them security. And so, to this people that Peter is talking to in northern Turkey, who are feeling small and insignificant, who are scattered and suffering, Peter says, you actually find significance in Christ, in this living stone who was rejected actually by people. And what's true of them was true of Jesus. What's true of Jesus is now true of them. They're chosen to be his precious people. Yes, they're scattered. Yes, they're suffering. Yes, they feel small and insignificant but they are chosen and precious. Uh, Come back to uh, Isaiah 28 again. The point is not just because Jesus is a living stone, he's secure, but more than that, verse 6, he's a cornerstone. He's uh, chosen and precious. Um, Now, most of us aren't stonemasons, I take it, so we don't know how uh, this all works. Uh, But in the ancient world, a stonemason would wander around a quarry. In fact, uh, Nick's a quantity surveyor, so he'd probably have more idea about this than any of us. Uh, Wander around the quarry, and choose the heaviest and most secure uh, piece of rock uh, that could bear the the weight of the whole building. That is, without a secure cornerstone, uh, every bit of the building is at risk. It would be structurally up the creek. And so it's the same with the people of God in Isaiah. They didn't have a secure cornerstone. Their leadership was corrupt. But in Christ, God scattered people, these sort of resident aliens throughout northern Turkey, They have a a secure cornerstone. Look at the end of verse 6 again. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. You see the great comfort again. We don't have to determine who we are. We don't have to fight and compete and battle to live our best life. In coming to Jesus, in coming to this cornerstone, we're utterly secure. And the quote there from Psalm 118 in verse 7 makes the same point. There is great honor in believing in Christ even though he's not universally accepted. In fact, the original builders were the Jewish leaders who rejected Christ. They took a vote and killed Jesus. They didn't want him around. But Jesus' identity doesn't actually rest on the decision of the majority. He was the chosen and precious son of God. And so a negative response to him was never really surprising. In fact, Isaiah predicted it uh, back in Isaiah 8 or in verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. When Jesus came to earth, he was soundly rejected. And the image here is that while Jesus was the perfect cornerstone, he was also the rock of stumbling. People didn't receive Jesus as he was, but kind of tripped over him, stubbed their toe on him, uh, thinking that he wasn't necessary or important or the answer to significance. They didn't need him. Uh, that's probably just worth saying uh, don't freak out over the word destined here Uh, it's not okay to say that people never have a choice that God just determines their path for them and they have to kind of live it out Uh, and that's not what Peter says here Peter says look what he says they stumble because they disobey the word that's their response to Jesus they don't want anything to do with him but for the people of God our identity is tied to Jesus If I line up with him, I am secure. So if that's the case, what are the consequences? If this is who Jesus is, what does it mean for us? I mean, having pointed out that Christ is our rock, our cornerstone, the stone that makes people stumble, what are the consequences? Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. The first implication we're like um, living stones which is a strange description. That is what is true of Jesus is now true of us. He was well chosen and precious to God. We're now chosen and precious to God and negatively as Jesus was rejected we too will be rejected. What else? Well, the second implication, according to Peter, is that God's people are being built into a spiritual house. Back in Isaiah's day, God's people thought they, remember I said they felt secure because they had the temple and so they would be protected from any enemy. And Isaiah said, you guys are just short-sighted. You don't get it. This is just a, a, a building of bricks and mortar. But security actually comes not through bricks and mortar, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's this radical new reality. Everything that the temple stood for or was meant to stand for has been done away with. How does this new spiritual house grow? Look at the passage again. As you come to him, you are being built up as a spiritual house. That's what we're about as men and women, All over the city come to Christ by faith, that's what's happening. And look at what else it means. There's the next bit of language uh, there in verse 5 uh describes a holy priesthood. And remember again from the Old Testament, the people of God felt secure because they had the temple and they had priests who would kind of look after them. Now all of that's changed. Now all of God's people are a holy priesthood, Peter says. So whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five months or five years, uh, Peter says you're a holy priest because you've had your sins washed away. Because of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice for all people, his death has achieved everything that the Old Testament temple and sacrificial system pointed to. With sin paid for, there's no need for animal sacrifices. No need for priests uh, to kind of act as a go-between between the people and God. Because Jesus is God's victorious king, all of us, says Peter, are holy priests. So how does this happen? How do I join with this kind of holy priesthood, this new family of God? Verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. That is, we join this people by trusting in Jesus. It's not rocket science. We believe what he says is true. And so Peter says to this suffering, scattered people, let me remind you what's true. Let me remind you about Jesus. We're brought into this family, this new family of God, not by buildings or sacrificial systems, not because we were born into the right family or have the right education, but through believing the word of Christ. You imagine these little groups as they met in a hut in Pontus with great dreams of God's temple in the good old days. And Peter says, no, 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 guys, remember. Remember who you are now. You are God's great building project. You're chosen and precious. You're where history has been heading for hundreds of years. So how do we respond? Verse 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What's your purpose then? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see the point, right? What's our purpose? Well, to proclaim how good God is, to testify about what he's done. He's brought us into the light. Uh, My wife teaches at Cranbrook down the road and uh, her colleagues were very excited earlier in the year when uh, Will Somerville was chosen to play cricket for New Zealand. Wrong wrong country, but that's okay. They were still excited. The only problem was uh, he was swimming at a beach in Auckland and the test match, if you remember, was starting the next day in Sydney. And so there was some quick movement and he had to get on a plane. I think planes were running back then uh, and uh, get to the airport and made it to uh, the match on time. But imagine for a moment, if when Will uh, got to Sydney, uh, rather than kind of getting in a taxi and going to the SCG, he thought, ah, yeah, I I used to live here. I used to go to school here. It'd be good to catch up with some friends. Uh, Maybe I'll go and do the the bridge climb. Uh, Maybe I'll catch up with uh, a few movies, uh, hang out with my old mates. Uh, You know, they probably don't need me, at the cougar ground. He's forgotten. He's chosen. (laughs) He's precious. Half the team had gone down with flu and they need him at the SCG today. Now, uh, For those of us who trust in Christ, please don't forget who you are. You are chosen and precious. And so when we feel the need to chase after other people or things or security in other places, we actually forget who we are. We forget where security comes from. We kind of go missing in action. We forget that we're God's great building project called by him to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to those around us. I might pause there and see if there are questions. Okay.
0: Uh, Thanks very much, James. We'll just give James a chance to catch his breath. Uh, We've got some questions coming in already. Uh, You can see there, there's a a number you can text your messages through. or It's a piece of paper if you want to write questions down. Uh on the screen on the chat, you can see in the uh, chat function there's a number there you can text your messages to. So they're gonna go straight to James. So um start sending them in and maybe um I'll I'll hand you these, James. The first one is what is TLDR? Um
1: for those of you who work with uh millennials, God bless you. Uh for those of you who are millennials, you'll know. Uh too long, didn't read. And so I'll often send out things to uh, staff members and say, oh, this is really worth reading. But if it's more than sort of 10 words, they'll just write back TLDR and want kind of more information. So that's what it is. Too long, didn't read. Um, uh, question is, uh, for those in Peter's time who were securing Christ, wasn't their life still a battle? Were their lives meant to be a battle? Yeah, I think that's actually Peter's point, uh, that they did feel... Uh, Though they were in Christ, though they were secure in Christ, uh, they were suffering. They did feel scattered from other people. And so uh, both those things do operate at once. You can be utterly secure and still suffer. There's not a contradiction there. Yeah. Uh, That's it so far, Pete. This crazy technology. Uh, Does does 1 Peter 2 verse 10 refer specifically to the Gentiles? Um, Many, many books have been written on this question. Uh, I keep changing my mind on this, to be honest. Uh, In terms of this verse in particular, uh, I think what, given what we've seen that uh, Peter here is drawing on a whole bunch of Old Testament language, he's using language that does refer to God's Uh, people in the old testament the jewish the the nation of israel Um, i think here it doesn't actually refer specifically to the gentiles but he does kind of have a broader view than just the nation of israel at this point but i'm not going to kind of argue over a cup of coffee necessarily on that one Uh, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we are to offer in verse five have a look down there again yourselves uh, like uh, living stones are being built up as a spiritual house uh, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices available to God through Jesus Christ Um, my guess on this is if you go to uh, Romans chapter 12 uh, there's similar language there Uh, Paul writing this time rather than Peter I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and uh, acceptable to God Uh, that is it's it's not a case, obviously, of uh, animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices. So who are we? How has God formed us to be? And how do we uh, use the gifts God's given us, sacrificially, to so serve those around us? I think that would be my uh, response there. Um, how many? We've got more time. Um, integrity comes from when we hate or dislike parts of ourselves, As we find our identity in Christ, do we just simply forget about the things that we dislike about ourselves? What then about the things that we do like about ourselves? I think it's a complex question and a a significant one. I'm not sure I can answer that well in 15 seconds. Um, What was that? 20 seconds. I'm not sure I can do it in 20 seconds. Um, I don't think we do... I don't think it's about forgetting who we are. Uh, God has formed us as a loving creator. And so I don't think it's about, uh, like with the sacrifice question, it's not about just denying who we are, but actually understanding who we are in the context of a broader creation and salvation of what God has done in Christ. I think that's my short response, but I'm happy to think more on that. All good? Thanks, Pete.
0: Uh, will you please join me in thanking James for uh, sharing with us this morning? Thank you very much. Uh, and we can, we can look forward to hearing James again next week. The, the second part of his The Difference Jesus Makes series, uh, talking about a new lifestyle. So we can look forward to that. Uh, for those uh, online, there'll be a feedback form. Um, you can feel free to, to uh, make any comments or ask any further questions. And for those who are here, the only way to find out about future city legal events is just to fill this little form in. And uh, uh, leave it uh, on your tables. Uh, Look, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.